All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Holritz, and it's good to be here with you today. Um, it is Wednesday, May 26th. We're pushing this out live. And on that note, actually, for those of you that are listening to the audio version of this after the fact, we do push out usually a couple of live episodes every week where we're live streaming on video to facebook.com slash Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H Podcast. And uh, we're going to have a YouTube channel running uh, in the future as well at Boca Podcast. We'll link to that. We'll make let everybody know when uh, that URL is ready to go. But facebook.com slash Boca Podcast, which means, number one, you can go back and watch rewatch the live streams, the replay of the live streams. But uh, we'd also love to have you join us. So do make sure to follow us on Instagram at B-O-K-E-H Podcast, Boca Podcast on Instagram. And you can keep up to date with the upcoming live streams with our guests. And um, on that note, let me just make one other mention of something new that we're, we're actually starting to do uh, at the moment. And I'm going to bring up my browser here really quickly. And let me actually jump over here. <laughs> we're going to actually come back to our guest here in just a second. Top secret guest. Um, Chelsea's waiting <laughs> for us at the moment. But let me just jump really quickly to my browser. And I want to highlight something that we are doing right now for... And forgive me here. I'm going to jump right over here. Our computer is... There we go. It's freezing up. Thanks, Chelsea, for bearing with me for just a second. Um, no problem. But I'm, what I want to do just really quickly before we introduce our guest today is highlight something that we're making an effort at here at the Boca Podcast and at Photographer's Edit as well. Uh, we had a, a guest, Sean Lee, on our podcast a little while back who highlighted the significance of giving back as a company. And I know that there's so many different potential... Efforts, organizations, charities, et cetera, that we can donate to, that we can give to. But something that I've been doing now for quite some time, for a number of years actually, is donating money to Charity Water. And we've actually had the option in the shopping cart at Photographer's Edit, my editing company as well, to round up. When you place an order, you can round up um, and donate to Charity Water as well. I want to, to kind of bump up that effort personally, but also encourage all of our listeners as well to look for opportunities to give back. And if you don't have another organization to give back to, you can do that at charitywater.org. Now, I'm in no way tied to this, this company, this organization. Um, this is not meant to be a promotion in that sense. But if you don't have another organization that you're currently giving to, at the very base level, it's amazing, actually. I think that's about three quarters of a billion people, they say right here on the, the homepage of their site, that don't have access or consistent access to clean drinking water. I just want to encourage you all to, to consider an organization like this to give to just as a way to to give back in some form or fashion. Sean Lee, our guest, um, who was on the podcast, I think it was episode, I want to say it was 464. Uh, you can do a quick search at bocapodcast.com. But Sean was highlighting the importance of giving to local community. If you have a way to do that as well, another great thing to do. But if not, charitywater.org. And I promised last week that I'm going to give, uh, before every episode, I'm going to give or donate to Charity Water. And just, again, as a way to encourage everybody that's watching or that's listening in, you can, for those of you that are actually watching the live stream or the replay of the live stream, you can see the receipt there on screen. And, um, and I only just popped that up there just as an encouragement, again, to everybody. Make sure that you find ways to give back. All right. Enough of me rambling on talking and jumping around to random screens. For those of you who are watching the live stream, you probably saw me fumbling with the screens earlier. What, what most of you don't realize is this whole production going on behind the scenes when we run these live streams, and I'm still getting used to it. We're only a few episodes in, so I pushed a couple of wrong buttons, but I think we're good to go now. And I have my wonderful guest, Chelsea Hollis, is here with me. Chelsea, thank you so much for making time to hang out with all of us here at the Boca Podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, it, we're going to actually get into a topic today, which we've touched on briefly in the context of COVID, but I think it's a relevant topic in general for business owners. When we get into business, we may go a particular direction that works for a time being, but something may happen in life or in business or a combination of both that encourages us to maybe look at other possibilities. You've actually done this on a professional level multiple times over, and I appreciate your willingness to come on the show today and share some of those lessons with us. To give context for our listeners, too, for those of you watching or listening in, uh, make sure that you do follow Chelsea. And I'm going to pop this up on screen. It's Chelsea Allegra. So C-H-E-L-S-E-A-A-L-E-G-R-A. Did I get that right, Chelsea? Two L's. A-L-L, -L, like the allergy medicine. Oh, I need, to, I need to actually add the L in. Okay. 
<laughs> we're, you know what? We're going to just do this live. I'm going to add the L right there on the screen. We're going to hit save. Okay. Did we get it right that time? That looks good. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. So it's live. Uh, Chelsea Allegra on Instagram. And then the same thing. And I think I did this right for the website. Is that spelled correctly? Chelsea Allegra dot yeah. com for the website. Yeah. Okay. I did that correctly. Awesome. And we're going to link to all these in the show notes at bookapodcast.com. But for those of you listening in or watching, make sure that you follow Chelsea both on Instagram and you can check out her website. We'll take a look at her website here in just a second. But Chelsea, I want to jump right into questions because we've got a lot of information to, to cover. So let me jump to the first one. Yeah. And that has to do with brand position. We were actually talking about brand position briefly before we started, uh, go, or before we went live today. But I'm curious mm-hmm. what your business's brand position is there and actually what marketplace as well, if you give that context as well. Sure. So I am actually in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I'm on the coast and that I honestly, I credit like the growth of my business to because one, it's just such an awesome small business oriented, like entrepreneurial community here, but it's also a really big destination. You know, people want to come get photos taken on the beach. So that has been really fun. I've been here three years now with my husband and my specific brand position, which I more recently pivoted, pivoted into since 2020 and all that it brought is I provide imagery and community for the sentimental mama looking to document or make the most of this fleeting season. Okay. And break that down just a little bit. And I guess not just what that means, but then kind of how that stands in contrast to what you're seeing in the photographers in your marketplace. Yeah. So I, I have a really big vision for what I want my brand to become, but we were chatting a little bit before the interview, um, Nathan about brand position and this podcast, I really give a lot of credit to for making me think a little harder on it because while I was so heavy into weddings, I, couldn't really figure out what my purpose was in that industry. Not to say that many people haven't found theirs, but I kept thinking back to like my unique perspective and what I could bring to the table that was different or my why behind it. And I could never really come up with anything that was super unique or different than all the other things that I'd seen out there. Um, And then, you know, I got pregnant uh, two months after our wedding and it just really shifted the perspective for me of like, yeah, weddings are beautiful and they're sacred and they're amazing and super fun to shoot. But, uh, was that day like really the most significant of my life? I don't know. I feel like there's so much more to come from here. Mm. And, um, and then of course COVID quickly hit after that. And I was pregnant and stressed because I had all of my brides, you know, calling me and, really scared about what was going to happen with their date. I had 12 weddings move um, or reschedule, which was more than half of my year. Wow. Um, and it just really got me thinking of about what I could pivot to that would just bring me more purpose and fulfillment and honestly have more longevity because I was kind of under the impression that weddings might not ever <laughs> look the same from there. So yeah, yeah. I started talking about this with my audience, honestly, online Mm. and said, you know, in becoming a mom, my perspective has changed a little bit. I still love my brides. I still love my couples. But has anyone out there ever done anything like this or would be interested in a package that offers documentation of the entire pregnancy to new family journey? And everyone just like freaked out about it and was so excited and we're like, yes, we would love for you to bring this to the market. So mm-hmm. I started thinking about it and I actually trademarked it, which I'm very proud of. Um, really? and I called it the milestone collection. Okay. So what it is, is a customizable experience for families to come on with me from the time they find out they're pregnant and shoot their pregnancy announcement, their maternity photos, um, their birth, if they'd like to have me there. I also got my doula certification, which we can touch on later. There's so um, much to get into. I love it. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, newborn photos and then um, family photos within the first six months of the baby's life. And then I do an heirloom album. I use Kiss um, as shout like... Shout out to Sean and Kiss. Yeah, yes. shout out. They're amazing. <laughs> um, and they get an album of the full journey. So I call it like, 
you know, the ultimate baby book. Those things are indestructible. I, I made one for my son and he can flip through it now and see, you know, the moments of us finding out about him all the way through birth and beyond. So yeah, yeah that's really the idea behind it. And I eventually want it to grow into even more of community. So when families sign on with me, not only are they getting this season documented, but they have the support to go with it. Okay, so a couple of things. I mean, there's so many this interesting touch points actually here because you shared a lot with us. Let me jump first actually to, I'm going to come right over here to the browser. And for those of you that are listening, again, this is one of the advantages of actually live streaming with us. You can actually kind of interact with us visually. And then speaking of interacting, just a little side note for everyone listening, I'll, I'll jump back right here to, to our split screen view. But I would encourage everybody who is watching live, don't hesitate to ask a question, comment. If you want, you can send us funny emojis and try to make us laugh, whatever you want to do, but engage with <laughs> us. I would love for this to be a two-way street. It's one of the advantages of doing live streams like this is that you can, you can personally ask questions for the guest or to the guest, and I'll pop those in here, pop them up on screen, and uh, we'll make it a, a group conversation. But back to what I was discussing just a second ago, brand position. I'm here on Chelsea's Instagram page, Chelsea Allegra, and what I see here, I mean, at the top there, I love that you've got the position statement right there, Chelsea, helping sentimental mamas document this fleeting season. And um, you, you mentioned the milestone, uh, what the significance of milestones and trademarking that related to your brand. You also have a podcast, Milestone Mama Podcast. So you're, mm -hmm. you're really already building on this brand quite significantly. Talk just a little bit about that as well, if you will. Absolutely. So when I was pregnant and especially in the new days of being a mom and especially in a pandemic <laughs> it's a very lonely season and sure. there's also a lot of you know judgment and information overload and you're just hormonal and sleep deprived and you just kind of want someone that understands because yeah. you feel like nobody does you know my my husband was incredible my family was incredible but sure. i just needed someone who was like, yeah, I get exactly how you feel. I'm there. And, or I've been there. I get it. Wait, how you're feeling. Yeah. 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 And so I honestly found so much of that community and like healing in my online community. And I was never really able to find a podcast that brought all of that to the table. It was just, I wanted something that could be resourceful, but also like fun and lighthearted and could keep my spirits up and, and honestly just like tell the truth and not sugarcoat things either. Um, so I decided to make that an extension of the brand, and not only for the, that community and supporting the moms who may or may not work with me photography-wise, sure, sure. um, but it's also, we'll touch on this later too, but it's also a great way to build this audience and you know bring in other moms or expecting moms who mm -hmm. might end up wanting those seasons documented too. So Absolutely. I was literally just listening to, you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? Yes, I've heard of him. Yeah, so I, I definitely recommend checking out checking him out on Instagram or he's got a YouTube channel and a podcast. I mean, he's content heavy, but one of the things that I just heard him talking about was the significance, or actually using a, a podcast as a platform, a way to ultimately bring potential clients on and convert them, right? So if, if you're able to bring them on, have conversations, but then use that as an opportunity uh, to be able to, to sell to them or ultimately convert them to clients in the long run, there's kind of an interesting opportunity just innate to that very idea. But you also do something else, which I think he's also alluded to, um, which is establishing yourself as an expert or even further as an expert. So here you have this photography business built around this, this concept of photographing or capturing milestones for these parents, but then you also further establish yourself as an expert because you are consistently speaking on the topic. You're engaging mm -hmm. others in conversation about that topic. And then, you know, what you can do in building up show notes and how that can help you with SEO. I mean, there's, it's really interesting how that effort, it may seem a bit cliche in some, some ways because popular or podcasts are so popular, but if it's leveraged correctly, it's anything but cliche and it actually could be a really powerful tool to further build that brand. So I have a lot of respect for the fact that you're doing that. We'll make sure to link to that podcast in the show notes for everybody who's listening in or watching as well. And you can also, for, for anybody that didn't see it, I think I maybe popped it up here on screen, but... Um, Milestone Mama podcast on Instagram as well. We'll also put that in the show notes for everybody listening in. I, I just want to touch on one quick thing though here, Chelsea, that I, again, have 
I have a lot of respect for, and I think it's an important thing for all of our listeners to know as it relates to brand position, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to talk about doing something as business owners because we're, quote, passionate about it. The reality is at some point in time, we're not necessarily going to be passionate about the individual thing that we're doing in the moment, right? Maybe it gets frustrating or tiring or feels a little bit monotonous. But at the end of the day, if we're going to build a business that's sustainable, building it around a, an idea, a concept, a passion, if you will, that is important to our lives, it holds deep meaning, especially as it relates to where we're at in life, can help us sustain that business over the long run. And so I like that you saw that or you realized for yourself, you know what, with the stage that I'm at in life, the experiences that I've had, I'm going to make this switch. There is something really significant about building a business around something that is deep rooted for yourself personally that I think will not only I think it'll have an impact in the way that you're able to market your business because you're going to be that much more naturally excited about it or interested in it, but it will also sustain you over the long run because of the commitment level that you have to the topic. I think it's really important. I think it's great that you did that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, let's keep going because we have so many different things to touch on actually, but let me jump over to our next question and Really, we talk about this quite a bit, but we've talked about customer experience um, on the podcast uh, really over and over again. I like getting our guests' perspective on this topic as, I mean, to, again, to use the word cliche as it might seem, I think at the root of a good, strong business is a good customer experience, especially in 2021. We really don't have a choice but to do that, to sell ourselves apart and ultimately to build a strong business. Is there a particular idea or principle that's important to your customer experience, the way that you build your customer's experience? Totally. I have a couple, so I'll try to keep it as concise as I can. Um, The first thing is just constant and clear communication while serving them. So answering all of the questions that you can before they even ask them and doing all the steps, taking up or taking as much off their plate as possible, I'll say, to sum it up. So some things that I offer my clients to not only make their experience easier, but just feel more luxurious and exclusive for them is I created an entire portrait guide that goes over the whole experience. Um, I put a whole style guide in there with color palettes of different ways that they can style their families, um, types of clothing to wear, Um, I also partnered with some local boutiques that were willing to give discounts to my clients if they were buying their portrait outfit from their shop, um, as well as like hair and makeup vendors and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I more recently launched a client closet as well, which I know isn't, I'm not the one to invent it, but it's definitely new to my area. And I just have been collecting all these pieces that I know photograph well, Mm -hmm. that can fit lots of different bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I offer those dress rentals as a part of the experience as well. So just all the things that I was getting the most questions and the most emails about, I just go ahead and send it all their way and market it as a bullet point in the package that they're going to receive this guide. And it makes my job easier too, because then they show up looking amazing and I know that they're, what they're wearing is going to look good and coordinates and all that. So, um, that's been really great. I've seen a lot of, um, like success since I started that in terms of the imagery that comes from it. And then um, the other thing, and this is going to sound a little like where's the real connection here, but I promise it has meaning is showing your face as much as possible and your heart and your voice on your, in your marketing. So especially like in your social media, this might sound super millennial of me, (laughs) (laughs) but as some, I actually met my husband on Tinder. So I was in the online dating world for a little while. Sure. And if you can think of it in that way, like if you've ever corresponded with someone or looked at their profile and then you meet them in person and you're like, oh, no, that's not how I envisioned you in my head, right? Yep. Interesting. I would, I would never want that to happen to my client, right? I'm putting right. them in a vulnerable position behind my camera, they're already nervous as it is. If I can break down that one barrier and that one wall by them feeling like they already know exactly what they're going to get with me. Like they know what I'm going to sound like, what I look like, my demeanor, we get there. And like that ground has already been broken. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes they, I can tell they feel a little bit weird about it because, um, they're like, I feel like I know so much about you. And then I stalk you on Instagram. I'm like, no, like 
I want you to feel that comfortable. I'm the one putting myself out there. It's not weird that you know these things. In fact, it's going to make our experience that much more fun. So yep. um, yeah, those those I, are my two points. Okay, no, th- th- this is good. I, 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 I mean, we talk quite a bit actually about proactively managing clients' expectations as far yeah. as the experience goes. And that really is huge. I mean, it, what that does for... First of all, the client's understanding of the brand, but then ultimately what they're going to get through that process, it kind of alleviates potential fear and, and to borrow a very popular term, anxiety for that, for that client, especially if this is one of the first times they've been in front of the camera. Or maybe they've had a past experience with a photographer, but it's like it was an old school experience and you mm-hmm. have something much better to offer them, but they don't know that you're proactively managing their expectations to begin with. I think that's really great. But I, I don't know that I ever really likened the perception that we are creating as a brand for a potential client with online dating, but it's so relevant. I think that's mm-hmm. really interesting because you're right. I mean, it, it, it is kind of cliche or stereotypical to the online dating world that you, you, know, you put up your best look from you know, whatever. It, I mean, I, again, this is totally a stereotype, but like from five mm-hmm. years ago when you looked a certain way and you're like, that's the thing I'm putting as my profile picture. And then when the person actually meets you in person, they're like, wait a minute, but I thought you were this or that. But it's funny how as much as we're trying to put on a particular persona or present a particular image to a potential client through our brand, if that's not consistent then with the experience that they have with us in person, that's going to create a bit of distrust. And I think that's something to keep in mind for photographers. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, so before I, I launched this more recent podcast, I had a different one with a friend of mine for a couple of years. And I booked so many brides from that because I was on there talking about everything, like all of my struggles, everything that we were going through was all about like women and um, stories of truth and breakthrough and things like that. And I had so many clients come from that because they just felt like they could come to me and be vulnerable and, you know, know exactly what they were getting. So I have seen it in action and it, it really does work. So I have one question and we'll keep going because we do have a lot to talk about. When, mm-hmm. when it comes to being vulnerable, I get the idea of putting yourself out there, being honest, and then, of course, matching that experience, the, the online version of you or your brand with the experience that the client has in person. Where is the balance from your, your perspective? Where is the balance between sharing and being vulnerable and oversharing? Because I, I see in our culture, I think hopefully in some ways are, we've, we've kind of backed off from it. But I, especially in the last couple of years or so, when you go into Facebook and just kind of scroll through, the stuff that people are sharing, at times you're like, nobody mm-hmm. needed to know that. <laughs> or we don't want yeah. to hear you complaining again about, you know, fill in the blank. Where, totally. is, where is the line? Like, where's the balance? That's, that's a hard question. Cause I feel like it's not very black and white. You know, there's, I think Fair. a lot of gray area and depending on your personality type, like I'm someone that can go deep quickly and that doesn't really freak me out, but sure. other people are not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's always been like, I'm never going to go on and share something that's um, not mine to share. So my relationship with my husband or something that's going on with our family, like anything that brings in an outside person or could negatively affect them or present them in a different way. I don't go, I don't cross that line. If it's just me, something I'm struggling with, or, you know, a feeling that I've had, I have no problem sharing that because that that's just me. Okay. That, I mean, that's a, that's a good distinction to make at a very base level. Okay, fair mm-hmm. enough. We'll leave that one alone. I'm sure we could spend a lot of time there, but I want to keep going too. Let's jump to this topic about time. You've, you've mentioned your family. Is there a particular principle when it comes to time management that has enabled you to, to not only run a, a healthy business, but also make sure that you have a bit of time left for yourself, for your husband, um, for your family at the end of the day? Like what, how have you found that, that the balance that works for you? Yeah, I love this topic. When I teach my workshops and my mentees, I, this is the part where I get like really fired up and passionate about it. And especially since becoming a mom, because man, I got two naps a day that I can work during. And <laughs> yep, that yep. nap time hustle is real. So I, um, I could absolutely, it's so funny. Maybe I mentioned this in the podcast before, but when my son, uh, who's now 19 years old, is crazy. But when, it, when my son was super young and he was still taking two naps a day, and I was, I ended up because of my work situation at the time. And this was as I was, I guess, kind of transitioning into photography full time. I was home during the day and my partner at the time was, was at work. So I was, you know, kind of the, the, 
the dad at home, if you will. And mm-hmm. um, when he was still at that stage where it was two naps a day, I absolutely treasured those two naps a day. And as and it seemed to get a little bit obvious that like maybe he's not going to go down for that second nap. I was like, no, 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 let's just let's stretch it out just a little bit more. Can I just have that second nap? If it yeah. finally happened and he gave that up, but I, I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah, I know. He's approaching 10 months now and I'm like, I'm going to milk the two naps for as long as we can. Yep. Um, but yeah, I've really had to figure out ways to be as efficient as possible. So I, I use HoneyBook and I use the heck out of all of the tools on there. Um, okay. basically my principle is just automate anything that you don't have to do. So I have automated my inquiry responses. Um, I use all of their forms and I've even, I don't know if you know that this is a thing or not, you probably do, but Instagram has some auto responses that you can use. And so, um, it sometimes drives me nuts when I get inquiries through Instagram because I'm like, please just go to my website and I can get back to you a lot quicker that way. But I have a whole response that I can just click a button and send. It'll say, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to work with you. If you wouldn't mind, just take two seconds right here to fill out this form. It'll get you right in my inbox so much quicker and I can respond with all the information you need a lot faster that way. Okay. Um, because... I was getting really overwhelmed every time I'd get another message or a DMs and then I would have to go and put their email and write them a whole email and this whole thing. This way they fill out the form themselves and HoneyBook sends them the response. They can click on my calendar link. They can click on my pricing guide. All their questions are answered. And then all I have to do is send the proposal once I see their booking come through, nice. um, which I know a lot of people are hesitant to do things like that because they want their hand in things or they don't want to seem impersonal. But I believe you can still provide a really personal and amazing experience when you have the energy to do it, you know? And if those little things are taking from that energy, then you're going to have less to give them when you are face to face. So that's where I I see it. I like this theme too, when it comes to, and we've been talking about this a little bit more in the podcast as of late, the, the significance of working, it's not about not working, or being lazy. It's about working smarter and utilizing the tools that enable us to be able to get more done with less effort. And and we're lucky in 2021 to have access to tools. I'll pop HoneyBook here on the screen. Tools like HoneyBook that um, are that cost us a minimal amount considering the amount that we're able to get done with them. I mean, it's it's quite impressive, really. And this has all happened within a relatively short amount of time that we have access to these types of tools. Some of the tools that we're able to use, like Calendly, for example, that I've used now for years, the amount of time I've saved not having to go back and forth in email trying to set up an appointment for something is incredible. And oh my gosh, it's, yeah. I, I think that the like the paid version is only ten bucks a month. What what I get for ten bucks a month, the hours and hours and hours I save is, is mind blowing. So I, I think you're right. Being smart to use tools that help us save time in that way is good. I do have a question though, because I personally, and, and maybe this is just me, I'm not a huge fan of autoresponders, even on Instagram. Like when I, when I go on Instagram and I maybe message somebody back because I see that they follow me, so I'm like, hey, thanks for the follow. And I get an, mm-hmm. in, an autoresponder. I'm like, I, maybe I'm just a little cynical because I've been in the industry now for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you feel like that can rub some people the wrong way? Like if you're taking advantage of tools like that, how do you minimize the impression that you're just kind of like, eh, whatever, I'm going to automate yeah, this? Totally. I actually, so I don't have it completely automated on Instagram. I still okay. have to go into the DM and like, you know, submit that response. It's sure. just a way to like, instead of having to go copy and paste something. So I'll still add in a little, oh my gosh, like congrats on your new baby or whatever it might be. And I yeah. say like, I love being a boy mom. I'm so excited for you. You know, I'll kind of add in a little personal touch, but then I don't have to go find all that extra information. So, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, in that initial inquiry email, if I see something come in, that's like extra personal or they added like a bunch more notes for me, I'll try to go in and, and beat my system. I think I have it set for a respond in an hour. Um, so if there's like additional questions or something, I'll try to get on there before, but if it's just like, I can, it's a, price fishing type of thing, then yeah. it just sends it to them. And it's still a very personal, personalized, very um, in my voice type of email. Oh, so yeah. I don't think it would ever appear to be um, just automated in that way. And the goal to, is to get them, it's, it's, you were talking about kind of directing them out of Instagram to your website. The goal is to then utilize that platform to get the information into HoneyBook. Is that kind of the thought process? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, so I just use the HoneyBook contact forms, yeah. and once they do that, um, they can submit, you know, the type of portrait session they're looking for, or if they want a milestone collection or whatever. Um, and then I have several different workflow systems within HoneyBook to respond okay. to those particular types of sessions. Um, and then that way, it's already in the system, and I can just use those templates later to go in and respond to them or send them their proposal or whatever. And it's a lot less steps than having to make a to-do list or oh, yeah. allowing those DMs to get lost in the sauce. <laughs> no, that totally makes sense. I, I'm all for... I, I totally feel you on this. I mean, I, it, I may sound old saying this, but there are so many different platforms to keep up with. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I'm overseeing multiple brands. So you multiply that out times three, four, five, six different platforms, messages coming in from all these different directions. It just becomes, it becomes too much, honestly. And, and yet yep. I realize the significance of having to accommodate our potential clients, knowing that they work in different ways. So I, I understand it. I can empathize with it. But I, simultaneously, I'm also like you. I'm looking for ways that I can simplify that workflow uh, for the sake of a bit of sanity. And, and also mm-hmm. having a little bit of time. So I'm, I'm glad that you highlight that. Speaking of time, though, I mean, one of the most impactful ways to manage our time as business owners is delegation. And, you know, this could start with something as simple as, say, administrative work, emails or otherwise, uh, website design, album design. Of course, we talk about editing quite a bit here because of my connection with Photographers Edit. But have you experimented with delegation in your business? Have you found any success with that? Yeah, I started outsourcing my editing when I came back from maternity leave. I ended up having like eight weddings in a row. And uh, yeah, thanks to COVID, I should have had like two after I came back. But eight weeks after having my baby, I was slammed and I just I just had to do it. And I knew I couldn't do it alone. So I outsourced my wedding editing. And I was definitely one of those photographers that was like, I like editing. I don't think anyone can do it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you hear that all the time. (laughs) I do. Um, But then I was like, okay, I can't do this. Like yeah. something's got to give. And I just realized there's, there's no way I'm going to ever physically have the time for this or be able to grow. Um, and the minute I started doing that, I'm like, nope, never going back, never not outsourcing my wedding editing ever again. Mm. Um, I still go in and I'd say I do a good like 10, 15, 20% and really feel like I have my eye on it. But okay. You know, from there, when I think a lot of photographers don't really conceptualize is you're not changing your your lighting or your um, location 50 times in your wedding day. Like once you've gone in and you've edited a good handful, you're going to go in and sync the settings anyway. It just becomes busy work from that point. So I'm very passionate about that. Um, And I also have a VA who... um, does my timelines for me as I'm transitioning out of the wedding world. I just wanted a little extra help so that I had more time to invest in the places that I want to go. So if things like building those wedding photography timelines and managing a couple of my Instagram accounts is something that I don't have to do, then I have her do that for me. So that's wonderful. I, you know, I, I have, I'm fortunate enough to have a team that I get to work with. I've never, I guess in some ways I could say I've worked with a VA because certainly a lot of my team has been remote and, and mm-hmm. at various times over the years. But having a VA learning, having kind of a right-hand person that you can hand things off to has got to be incredible. And I love that you're doing that. I'm curious about the editing piece because it there are, when you talk about the significance of maintaining control, the feeling that nobody else can do this the same way or as good as you can, how were mm-hmm. you able to like practically, what did it look like to let that go? What was, what were some of the internal conversations that you were having when you got that first set of the first order back for, for example, as you're looking through mm-hmm. those images, maybe you noticed that some of these adjustments made didn't look exactly like you would make them. And I get that you may be adjusting those kind of tweaking them a little bit yourself, but mm-hmm. how were you able to make that compromise, that compromise internally? And I'd love, I'd love your perspective for the sake of our listeners, because I'm sure there's some of our listeners or viewers that, that might be on the verge of outsourcing their editing, but there's still that like, oh, I don't know if I can let go thought process. Mm-hmm. A lot of it just had to do with um, honestly becoming a mom and lowering my expectations a lot of what I'm capable of. Okay. And if that was something that like 
I had to just be like, there, this is maybe something in my business that's not going to be perfect or exactly as I would want it, but I'm kind of okay with that. Mm-hmm. And two, I, th- I feel like it's been talked about on this podcast before, but a lot of times our client is not going to critique and look at our images with the same eye that we are. And a lot of the photos that we think are the worst in our mind end up being their favorites. And I always just laugh at that. Yep. Um, and so I just had to accept that. My editor does a great job. You know, we sat down and and um, Zoomed and screen shared, and I just kind of showed her my general flow of things, and she cool. picked up on it really quickly. And I was like, oh, you know, when it comes down to it, really she's just doing the rest of the busy work for me. Like, yes. I've got the hand, and I can always go back and make those changes later before I deliver them. They're not going straight to my clients. Um, so... Yeah, I know that's not a super like tangible thing, no. but no, no, it's it's actually really good, and it, it, it's good for our listeners to hear that because it, it is nerve wracking. I mean, even now it, as a business owner, I still am working through my ability as some, as a delegator. You know, when I hand a task off or ask somebody to help me with something, that process of communication, making sure that I'm communicating clearly enough so that the work gets done the way that I I would hope it's going to get done. Um, and, and actually, I, it's funny that I use the word hope there because I think a lot of photographers, when they begin, for example, to try to delegate out or delegate or outsource their editing, they hand the thing over and kind of hope that it's going to get done the way that they want to versus actually taking the time to develop the relationship and communicate clearly what it is that they want. So uh, it's ironic that I started to use the word hope there. But really, for me, even lately, learning how to better communicate with my team so that what I'm asking is done the way that I would want it to be done. That is something that I'm continuing and need to continue to work at. And I think all of us have to make sure that we actually put the effort and time in the delegation process, learning how to communicate effectively. And then to your point as well, Chelsea, learning to let go a little bit of these nuances that we make such a big deal about, but literally nobody else notices. And it's not Mm -hmm. a matter of compromising quality. It's just we're talking about personal preference and nuance, not quality that we're compromising on. And that's, I think that distinction needs to be made too. And I'm glad that you highlight that, but I want to keep going. One other question for you before we get to kind of our main focus today and talking about this, the process of pivoting mm-hmm. is, um, a favorite book, business book, self-help book that you might recommend to our listeners. Okay. This is a little embarrassing. I don't really read business books. Um, I always just listen to podcasts when it comes to business. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely someone who, I get like information overload anxiety sometimes and I if I'm always listening or reading like self-help business things it mm-hmm. almost sometimes it helps sure. and other times it's just like oh there's all these things I should be doing or all right. this potential I could be reaching and it's a little overwhelming yep. um and so I'm going to plug the last book that I read that made me passionate about my pivot. Oh, please. And that was um, The Husband Coached Childbirth, which is um, by Dr. Bradley. It's okay. all about natural childbirth and okay. just like the physiological process of it. And um, it was really empowering to me and made me really passionate about this season. Mm-hmm. And then I would say a podcast, I'm going to plug my business coach here. She has a podcast called Right Up Your Alley, A-L-L-E-E. Okay. And she, I love that she talks about all of the nuances of being a business owner and entrepreneur from like a personal and spiritual level, as well as the more tangible topical tips. Perfect. All right. We're going to link to both of these in the show notes. And I I think... I think you highlighted an interesting point too, which is, I mean, books is kind of the, the traditional way of consuming information and learning something. But the reality is there are a variety of formats too that, that we can do that in. And mm-hmm. I 100% am, am with you and the, the information overload. I have, I mean, I have, there's no telling. I don't have an exact count. The number of books that I, I picked up my phone here, the number of books that, that I bought on Kindle to read because I'm like, oh, that, that seems interesting or that's something that I should read or that sounds, and that I have yet to read. And yet I, there is so much that I've already taken in from the books that I have read that if all I did for the rest of my career or my personal life was to focus on applying the principles that I've read from the books that I have read up until my 41 years of age, I'd have plenty to, to, to work on. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you're right. There's a balance there. Uh, and I know it's going to differ from person to person, but we have to make sure not to take in so much information just because that we're actually applying that information and that's the rate at which we should consume that information. As long as we're actually consistently applying it, I think, I think that is much 
more impactful to our lives and our business than just simply consuming information for the sake of consuming information. So I'm glad that you highlight that too. Let me, let me jump though to kind of our main focus for the day. We're going to talk about pivoting. And I know again that, that probably some of our listeners may have heard this word as it related to COVID. You know, COVID happens, business kind of freezes and they're like, oh shoot, what do I do now? So it's certainly relevant to that, but I want to, I want to emphasize too, this isn't just about COVID. This is about just being an entrepreneur or a business owner or a professional in general, what it means to pivot, kind of the thought process behind it. And for you, you've done this multiple times. What has enabled you to do it successfully? We're going to talk about that. You have pivoted multiple times in your life. Can you just briefly sum those pivots up for our listeners so they have some context? Yeah. So I briefly described it at the beginning of the episode with moving kind of from wedding portrait photography to this um, more specific realm. But I actually went to school for exercise science and landed what I thought was my dream job. I'm using air quotes when I say that. Um, And it was at a really big time um, corporation that was kind of like a Google campus and had its own fitness center. And so I got to teach classes all the time and um, personal training and do all sorts of programs and events. And it was really, really cool. Um, But it felt like there was just this wall of the potential that one, I could reach from a career standpoint and two, the community that I could reach because I was only able to have um, employees of that company come to my classes. I couldn't say, hey, Nathan, come check out my yoga class tomorrow. So that felt very exclusive and I didn't really like that. And um, it just so happened that I used to dabble in photography when I was younger and um, my dad always had a, a nice camera And my best friends got engaged and their photographer couldn't schedule their session in time for their save the dates. They asked me to do it for them. And I was like, sure. And the second I got behind the camera, I was like, oh, this is it. Hmm. This is it. I just never thought that it was an option. You go to school, you don't really hear that the creative world is is an option for your career path. Sure. Um, So I kind of just had let that go to the wayside. And... um, Next thing I knew, I was starting to take shoots on the side before and after work and on weekends. And because I was in the fitness industry, I was working with a lot of brands, um, studios and gyms and personal trainers and things like that. And when we made the move to Wilmington, we were living in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time, I was kind of using that as my in to try to find job opportunities in the fitness world because I would say, hey, I could come do, you know brand photos for your studio or whatever. And then next thing I knew, I mean, again, I owe it to this community. I just blew up and I had, I had taken on a part-time job at another fitness corporation here and I had to quit it because I had too much on my plate and I knew Mm. that I had to make the space. So I pivoted into portrait and wedding photography. My first year full time, I booked 20 weddings, I think. And, um, yeah, then it just kind of circles right back around to with what happened in COVID and becoming a mom and all those heart shifts that happened for me. And I therefore am now in the process of coming out of weddings and fully into this new passion of mine. Which also happens to include being a doula as well. Can you just share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I had a doula for my birth, and for those of you who don't know what a doula is, I know it sounds very, like, hippie and woo-woo. Um, but <laughs> is that the response I, that you normally get? <laughs> yeah, well, some people are like, what the heck does that even mean? Or sure. they think it's just for people who do, like, home births and things like that. Okay. Um, I did know that I wanted to have an unmedicated birth, so I did want a doula for that extra support. Um, but I also really wanted it for my husband. So a doula can just be that support and help you manage um, the anxiety and the obviously the pain and just kind of help facilitate the birth process because honestly, I don't know if people realize this or not, but most of the time you're in labor for a long, long time, many hours. And within that time frame, you're not with a doctor or a nurse the whole time. Mm-hmm. You're They're in and out, you know? Sure. And so I knew that my husband would have been like, well, what do I do when I'm just alone with her in the room? How do I keep her comfortable? How do I, you know, stay in coach mode? And our doula really helped us do that. 
And just seeing her work and obviously the passion I developed for the whole process, I was like, you know, I want to do that. And honestly, I didn't know if I was, I didn't get the certification for a career shift. I wanted to use it as a way to add to what I was already doing. I thought, oh my gosh, like, I wish that I could have had a birth photographer, but because of COVID, I was only able to have my doula and she was incredible. Um, but if I could have like a two in one, that would have been amazing because those, those moments become so foggy and it's so crazy how quickly they begin to fade. Um, and I would have loved to have that documented a little better. And the more I thought about it, um, I didn't think I would be able to separate those roles. If I'm at a birth, Mm. I would want to be there as a doula. And if I have the skills to capture it for them, I might as well. So that's where that all started. And I know this is something relatively new for you, but I can imagine that it gives you, well, you can really just kind of up the ante as far as the experience that you're providing for these potential clients that you're selling your photography to also probably gives you or will continue to help develop your perspective as well which then mm-hmm. just lends itself to further improving the experience that you're giving your clients. You, you, you see these people have these experiences kind of from coming from all different walks of life and perspectives, and you develop a certain empathy for them in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, another thing I forgot to mention was is also a little bit of a loophole with <laughs> the pandemic where I actually had people asking me, when I was getting my cert just so that I could be their birth photographer. Um, Because at the time they're only allowing doulas in. And I just didn't really feel comfortable with that. I was like, this is not the purpose behind this. If I'm going to be a doula, I want to actually be your doula. Um, So those weren't clients I took on. Just I wanted to keep that integrity of my business. But um, getting back to the, you know, the perspective part, um, I I totally lost my train of thought. What what was the question you had just asked me before well, that? Let me actually let's let's kind of play on on this this transition process because yeah. I, I want to kind of dig further into this this experience of pivoting. You've done it multiple times over. Totally. We're going to talk about kind of the practical application of this, how to actually do this effectively. But mm-hmm. I I know from personal experience as a business owner and an entrepreneur, I've tried a variety of things. And when you kind of throw your mind, body, soul into this one particular venture and it doesn't pan out or it just makes more sense to shift out of that, there can mm-hmm. be a pretty significant emotional shift, at least for those of us, myself included, who are more emotional individuals, right? You just throw so much of yourself into this thing and now you got to shift out of the focus on that particular venture into something else. Were you able to, to effective, like, or I guess maybe the better question is, how were you effectively able to navigate that process shifting focus from this to this to, to the next thing? Did it take a toll or did it play out pretty smoothly for you? I honestly just gave myself a lot of grace with it. I think one of, this is one of the things I wanted to share as like a, an action step, honestly, that helped me was just sharing my heart and my why behind it with my audience and my current clients, because stepping into this big pivot, I think one of my biggest um, limiting beliefs was that my current brides and grooms were going to think that I didn't care about them anymore. Mm. And, you know, I still have 12 more weddings this year and and a few next year. And so I didn't want them to ever think that, oh my gosh, like she's just, she doesn't care about this anymore. Like, is she still going to do a good job with my wedding? And so I wanted to make sure that I was still portraying that in um, you know, my posting and the things that I was talking to them about and just letting them know like, hey, your wedding still means the world to me. I still love my couples. This is just another way that I can grow with you. Um, you know, after your, this is just the beginning, right? Like sure. I get the honor of, in most cases, you know, weddings come and then babies come and then all these other milestones from there. And so I just kind of presented it in that way to them. And I honestly already have couples like before they were even getting married like oh my gosh I'm so excited to have you be my doula one day <laughs> so yeah well, I, I want to share with with our listeners and viewers the steps that or really the guys guess the principles behind making an effective pivot I know that you've got four that you can share with us let's start with that mm-hmm. first one 
Uh, and and yeah. if I can break the fourth wall a little bit, you shared this with me ahead of time. The, the thing that, that you said uh, or that you emphasized was the significance of sharing the why behind the pivot. So for, for you that are listening in or watching, you're like, okay, I'm at this stage in my life now as a photography business owner where maybe I, w- I want to stay in this particular profession or this industry, but I want to make a shift for this reason or that. I don't quite know what to do. How do I even start this process? And what you said is we need to start with the why. Share the why behind that pivot with your audience. How did you go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think even a precursor to that is figuring out what the why is for yourself, right? Okay, like, that's great. Yeah. Um, I, I do for me, I don't want to be away as much as I used to. I have a baby now and I don't want to miss anything. And my husband works five days a week and then we're just switching off. He takes care of the baby during the weekends and we don't have any of that time together really. So I knew that just from a practical, like logistical standpoint of the way I saw my life panning out mm-hmm. was not constantly being gone. So, yeah. um, doing some inner work in that way. And again, like thinking about what your unique perspective is and what you're doing and, and your true why behind it. Because I think as artists, especially we can get really carried away in the surface level things or the things that we just say, because they think it sounds good on a marketing, you know, statement on our website, but just, I encourage you to dig a little deeper for the way that you see your life panning out and what that, what that's going to look like on a day-to-day basis. Um, And then just with sharing the why, I um, would talk to my followers and and even my clients as I'm shooting them, the things that I'm excited about, asking a lot of questions, let them give me their input. Um, I love using like the question boxes and things like that and polls on Instagram to see what excites my current clients as well and just kind of allow them to make that pivot with me. Um, and can I pause you just a second there I, I, for our listeners, just to give context, I think that's the significance of this, right? Because part of the apprehension probably for a lot of photographers is if I make this pivot, am I just going to lose my client base and have to start all over? What you're suggesting here is you're, you're actually taking your client base along with you, your fan base along with you. You've taken the time, number one, to establish your why, which I, I'm so glad that you highlighted that because we do, I, we need to, and we, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the conversation, but starting with a root level motivation, if you will, or a value set, that's how I look at it. What are my personal values? I'm going to build my business, my, my efforts at business as an entrepreneur on the back of those values. Because if I do that, it's going to have much greater longevity. The so-called passion that we're all looking for, it's going to come with that naturally because they're, this is built on big ideas that are super, super close to me. So starting there is great then we're going to begin communicating that, but we're doing that for the sake of bringing these clients, or at least some of them, along with us. That'll probably alleviate some of the the um, apprehension, I guess, that some listeners might have in this process of making a pivot. Totally. And, you know, you already have, especially if you've been in business for however long now, a, you know, a fan base, quote unquote. You probably have some repeat clients. You have, if you're a wedding photographer, this is like a natural progression of what comes next. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's actually a good segue into my second point is um, my business coach actually encouraged me to do this is to consider what the lifetime value of your client actually is and your your current client and then the, the client that you would like to pivot towards. Mm-hmm. And for me, I thought, okay, well, I charge this much for weddings and then what comes after weddings and how can I incentivize them to continue working with me, even though I may not be shooting weddings anymore. And honestly, it's, I think whether you're doing a pivot or not a great, uh, like introspective thing to do, because what hopefully most people are going to get married once, maybe twice, (laughs) but you know, once you shot their wedding, then what comes after that? Um, and so I think from considering what that lifetime value is and how you can leverage that, you can create a clear offer that has some incentive behind it. So maybe it's, you know, if people book you for their wedding and then down the road they book you for A, B, and C, you incentivize it with some sort of perk. Um, For my milestone collection, what I do is they can choose between three, four, five different sessions and then whether or not they want to include their birth in it or not, because I know that's a very vulnerable thing, so they don't have to have that. Sure necessarily worked in if they don't want to. Um, but 
the way that it's packaged is if they if they purchase the package up front, it's I think a 10% discount from if they were to book those sessions a la carte with me. Um, so they're more inclined to sign on for at least three sessions. And then I know I'm going to have that around a year if they're starting with that pregnancy announcement all the way through family photos after the baby's born. I, I like, by the way, that you're bringing up this concept of LTV, lifetime value of a client, because it's not normally a point of conversation in the photography world, right? We're talking about sole proprietors. And, and a lot of the times, myself included, when I, was, when, I, when I was photographing, I was just like, let me just try to get the next client. And I'm going to charge mm-hmm. them this month or this much. And I wasn't really thinking about data points like LTV. A lot of times, in like software as a service, for example, in that industry, you're thinking about that number. In fact, it's one of the most important numbers. We, we look at that at, at Photographer's Edit as well. We look at what the average paying customer spends with us over the extent of their relationship with us. And then based on that information, we can actually decide what our marketing budget is, for example, what we're willing to spend to acquire a new customer. And that's what you're talking about here. I, I love this. I'm, I'm taking notes here in case you see me look down and I've got a pen in my hand. But <laughs> what you're highlighting here is not just the concept of LTV, lifetime value of the client, but what, how that enables you then to decide what type or how much incentive you're willing to give f- to mm-hmm. bring this client along on this so-called journey or pivot with mm-hmm. you so you can maintain them as a client, right? Exactly, because you've already established that relationship, so it's going to be a lot easier to gain them as a, a potential client for whatever it is you're doing next than you know, Joe Schmo off the side of the road. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it's kind of breaking down that new client acquisition mm-hmm. where you already have a great client base, mm-hmm. um, depending on what, you know, industry, like side of the industry you're on, like leverage that and find ways that you can continue serving those people through that pivot. And in some cases, it's easier. We've actually been talking about this at Photographer's Edit, but it's easier to maintain existing clients than to try to bring on new clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that in many cases, especially for wedding photographers, as you pointed out, very obviously that that it's you know the average wedding photographer is just thinking about getting the next wedding client. They're not thinking about how many more weddings they can photograph for that client. So most most at least wedding photographers aren't used to thinking this way. What's the LTV and how can I add to that? If they're mm-hmm. able to extend that to family photography or birth photography in this case, then that is a way to extend that and to build on that number. And it right. makes sense to then incentivize them coming along for that because there's the potential of making a lot more money. So I'm glad that you highlight that, that principle. Okay, so I'm, as I'm taking notes here, um, you talked about, first of all, establishing the why for yourself. Then mm-hmm. secondly, communicating that why to the client so that they understand you're not just kind of flaking on them and running away. You're, you're mm-hmm. taking them along in that journey share the why with, with your audience, and then consider the LTV and offer an incentive to come along for that pivot or for that, that, churn, that, that change in the journey or the shift in the journey, if you will, as a photographer. What's the next step? So I'd say the next step is more geared towards continuing to expand, expand the audience of your ideal client that might not already be your existing client. I think it speaks to your existing client and potential new clients. And that okay. is, um, I break down my social media posts into four different categories, um, which are personal, education, encouragement or entertainment, and selling. Some of those things go hand in hand. Um, but again, getting back to making your clients feel like they know you well. It's important that you're showing your face and not just your work. I'm sure that's been said on here many times. Um, and when I say education, I don't mean you need to go ahead and be a educator for photographers or whatever it is that you do. I mean, educating your clients. So for example, you know, a post that I might make about my milestone collection, I'll say, here's the great timing for when to do your newborn session or Mm -hmm. when you might want to consider booking your maternity photos and kind of just answer some questions that they might not even know that they had. Um, And within those posts, again, getting back to your point, Nathan, of appearing as that expert in what it is that you're doing. Absolutely. Um, And then entertaining and encouragement, like just you want to be someone that they continue coming back to and can trust and they know you and you just entertain them and and bring them along the ride 
with your social media. Are you a natural? When I think about entertainment, I know the significance of entertainment. And this is actually another conversation we've been having at Photographer's Edit um, a good bit as of late, which is how to entertain. I mean, for myself, mm-hmm. for example, is, is kind of the face of the brand. I'm not naturally an entertaining guy. I'm, I'm friendly. I can have an easy conversation with somebody. I can go deep in conversation like you were talking about earlier, but I'm not mm-hmm. naturally the entertainer. So the question yeah. is, how do I entertain effectively or how can I work with my team to entertain more effectively? And we're yeah. still working through that. But how, how do you go about this notion of entertaining on Instagram without also maybe playing into all the cliches? Like right now, you know, the, and I, I laugh about this. Maybe again, maybe I'm just old, but I laugh at this right <laughs> now because of course the end thing to do is to create these, these videos with the little captions and, and like pointing up like this and dancing yeah. around. And I'm like, okay, fine. But like, that's just one way to be entertaining. Everybody's just kind of copying that right now. How do you totally. come up with that so-called entertainment factor? Yeah, that's so true. I'm not a dancing on reels kind of girl either. <laughs> um, I would definitely say I'm more, that's why I, I break it up into entertainment and encouragement because I'm definitely more of like a feeler. I like just like speaking words of encouragement and life into people too. Okay. Um, in terms of the entertainment, like you'd be surprised what people are interested in in your life like it could be as simple as sharing like I did a bathroom remodel when we moved into this house and took them along that journey or the things that I buy at Trader Joe's or man when I got a Dyson hairdryer I've never had that many DMs (laughs) in my entire life are you serious okay yeah just you know things that you would think are so you know ordinary but or even if if I can say that exactly to a photography Instagram but yeah okay yeah, I'm not thinking about every single post being related to photography because okay. people are going to get bored of that. And mm. getting back to acquiring clients, they might not follow me for the fact that I'm a photographer, but if they're following me because they like the things that I'm putting out or they could connect sure. in all these different other ways, mm-hmm. then when they do need a photographer, I'll be front of mind. And so just keep that in mind with what you're putting out there like because you, you don't not every single post has to circle back to selling. I think that mm. selling point should be, you know, the one that's a little more few and far between so that they are ready to take that next step by the time you're posting it, if that makes sense. Totally does. That's, I mean, honestly, it's a good reminder for me too. I think it's going to be a wonderful, I was just thinking, man, that's, that's a great clip. We need to share that. We're going to put that out on social media. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really great point. Uh, and, and I think it's too easy for me and I, I'm a bit of a minimalist, I guess, even in the way that I think at times, but it's too easy for me to think kind of single track. And your point is very much uh, a, a good reminder for me, which is that it's not just about this one thing. People are going to get bored if all you ever do is push out the same thing over and over and over and over again. Jill, who's come on board with us at Photographer's Ed in the Book of Podcasts as of late um, and is heading up our digital marketing there, has also been reminding me of the same thing. She's like, I go through this feed and it's the same thing in past posts on our social media yep. account. She's like, it's a lot of the same stuff. And she was, she was encouraging, ultimately encouraging us to... Um, to kind of think about breaking that up, doing something different, which we've begun to do. And I think it's a great thing to do. So I, that's a great reminder. Point, point well taken. Um, <laughs> all right. So what we've got then is you're, you're suggesting to go ahead and jump on, on social media and share those categories to connect with, to educate, to encourage. Uh, you said four categories, correct? Remind mm-hmm. me of those four categories one more time. So it's personal, yeah. sharing your life, um, okay. education, entertainment or encouragement and then selling and then selling. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we do this now. I know that this, I want to kind of jump to this last point and respect your time and everybody else's that's listening or watching, but um, you talked about offering a weekly or recurring resource mm-hmm. uh, such as an IGTV series, blog podcast, etc. Can you talk a little bit about this concept? This is interesting. Yeah. So this is another Avenue like the podcast that I started that can bring in new listeners or that broader audience to just learn about you and again see you as that expert or just someone that they can connect to in that way so one of the things that I did that was really successful was I started an IGTV series called birth story Sundays moms love to come on and talk about their birth story so Uh I would go live every Sunday night and have all sorts of births come on and tell their story and other women could come on and ask questions and interact in that way. Um, And then since we would go live together 
a lot of their followers would start following me because then they knew, oh, Chelsea's a doula. She's a photographer. Maybe when I have my baby, I'll go to her. So that was a really awesome way to do that. You could do it with a YouTube series, um, even just a story series or, again, a podcast. Just finding those different pathways for people to find who you are other than just Instagram. And that's not to overwhelm anybody because I know there's already so many things to keep up with, but just even on something that you already use, I already use Instagram all the time. All I did was add in that little series, make people aware of it. I built an entire email list out of it because I had a wait list for moms wanting to come on and share their story. Really, And so I said, Hey, you know, get on this wait list. And now I have this whole list of women who are interested in hearing and talking about birth. That's cool. And so not only does that give you an opportunity to be able to create content that is valuable to your audience, but then as you pointed out, you get the opportunity to connect with people who could potentially be clients as well. Mm -hmm. And I think too, a good note is I know I mentioned stories as an option, but I would before that recommend things that can be evergreen so that they can continue coming back to as a resource, like a blog or something Mm -hmm. that lives on your page so that it's always there. So well, this is this is a lot of good kind of practical information, points to consider for our listeners. And uh, of course, we're going to put all of these talking points and the resources that have been mentioned from today's conversation in the show notes, bocapodcast.com for anybody listening in. But I, I really appreciate, Chelsea, you making time to share with the listeners. Just really quick, and I'll pop these up on, this, on, this, on the screen, actually, as you're sharing. But remind our listeners, if you will, um, where they can follow you, learn a little bit more about what you're doing, if you will. Sure. Um, I'm on Instagram most at Chelsea Allegra. Okay. Um, you could find my website at ChelseaAllegra.com. Again, my podcast is Milestone Mama Podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. And then my education platform is on Instagram at The Prosper Workshop, which is also linked to my personal page. Okay, cool. Yeah. And for those of you that are watching live at the moment, I'm I'm jumping over to these pages as well. The Prosper Workshop will link to that as well as Milestone Mama and then Chelsea Allegra in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Again, Chelsea, thank you for making time for all of us for sharing this helpful, practical information for all of our listeners who you know, may be at that point in their career where they're thinking about a little bit of a change. It's nice to have these practical tips to consider. I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners today. Thank you so yeah. much. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. Have an absolutely wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.